Chapter 8 of Treve by Albert Payson Terhune. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by J. Schmidt. Chapter 8 In the Hands of the Enemy. Jewel Fenno was wading almost thigh deep in a billowing and tossing grayish sea. Here and there, near him, arose the upper two thirds of other men his young partner, Royce Mack, their chief herder, Tony the Big Basque, and the other Dos Hermanos shepherds. The tossing gray-white sea was made up of sheep, hundreds upon hundreds of milling and worried sheep. Through its billows, like miniature speedboats of black and of red gold, dashed, zit, the squat little black working collie and his little black mate, Zilla, and the glowingly tawny bulk of Treve. The three sheepdogs had their work cut out for them. Drouth had come with an unheard-of earliness to the Dos Hermanos Valley that spring, and now, in the past week, fire from some herder's carelessly thrown cigarette had kindled a blaze in the tender dry buffalo grass which a steady north gale had whipped into a very creditable little prairie fire. The men of the Dos Hermanos ranch had fought back the crawling red terror foot by foot, beating it to a sullen halt with brush, saving the ranch buildings by a cunningly managed backfire, and frantically digging and dampening shallow ditches in the path of the creeping scarlet line. The ranch houses had been saved. The course of the fire had been deflected up the coulee. The dogs had been able, by working twenty-four hours a day, to hold in bounds the smoke-scared sheep. But the range, in many places, was burned as bare of grass as the palm of one's hand. True, this area would bear all the richer verdure later on. In the meantime... However, the innumerable sheep must be fed, and there was not grazing enough left standing to keep one-third of the ranch's stock. Wherefore, the one possible recourse was adopted. Fully a month ahead of the usual time, the flocks were to be driven to their summer pasturage along the grassy upper slopes of the Dos Hermanos Peaks. This entailed much bustle and some confusion, for the ordinary preparations to smooth the yearly exodus had not been made. Range pasture after range pasture had been denuded of its woolly population. All the mass of sheep had been rounded up into the number three field, and now men and dogs were steering them toward the gateway which opened direct on the trail they were to take for the hills. An outsider, watching the scene, would have beheld merely a handful of excited men, waving staves and yelling and making uncouth and apparently unheeded gestures, and three panting and galloping dogs making crazy dashes through the tight crowding multitude of sheep. As a matter of fact, not one gesture of the men and not one step of the running dogs was without direct purpose. By degrees, the sheep were bunched and headed for the wide-flung gateway beyond which waited a shepherd. 
At one moment, everything seemed hopeless confusion. The next, a disorderly but steadily progressing throng of sheep were headed for the open gate, and their leaders had begun to trot bleatingly out into the trail, started in the right direction by the shepherd who stood outside. The rest surged on in their wake. By the time a half-hundred of the pioneers essayed a scrambling rush from the trail, up a bank toward a burned and still-smoking field beyond, Treve had cleared the pasture's high wire and had flung himself ahead of them, noisily yet deftly driving them back to the trail, rounding up strays, keeping the huddle in the right direction, and giving wide berth to the gateway that continued to vomit forth more and more woolly imbeciles. Treve had been far inside the pasture when the sheep at last consented to head for the gate. In order to obey Royce Mack's shouted command to guide aright those already outside, he had been forced to leap on the backs of the tight-jammed sheep nearest him and to run lightly along on a succession of bumpy hips until he could spy an opening on the ground of sufficient size for him to pursue his race on solid earth instead of sheepback. While Zit and Zilla continued to herd and drive forward the remaining foolish occupants of the field, Treve was here and there and everywhere in general and nowhere in particular among the debouching and ever more numerous sheep that had hit the trail. It was a time for lightning action, for incessant motion, for the use of the queer hereditary sheepdog instinct. There was no question of merely obeying shouted orders now, nor of following the direction of a waved hat. Tree was working on his own. He was using his native genius as a herder, keeping that wild bunch headed aright and in the trail, and cutting short abortive efforts of the whole mass to cascade out onto the burnt fields on either side or to bolt for the smoking coulee. His flying feet spurned the ground, scarcely seeming to touch it. His tawny gold body flashed in and out, seemingly in ten parts of the trail side at once. Then, all at once, the nerve-wracking job was done. The whole flock was out of the gateway and safe on the trail, with Zit and Zilla weaving in and out, steering them straight, and the herdsmen in their places along the pattering ranks. Treve could change his flying zigzag gallop to a wolf trot. He could even brush his panting muzzle against Royce Mack's hand as he trotted past the busy rancher. Up the coulee side trail moved the sheep, the myriad patter of their hoofs sounding on the rutted roadbed like cloudburst rain on a shingle roof. Deep in the bottom of the coulee, to left of the twisting trail, the fire still snapped and flickered. Its smell and sight and smoke sent recurrent panic waves over the army of sheep. The three dogs seemed to know in advance when these efforts at bolting would begin. Treve's white paws were grimed and sore from frequent dashes along the coulee side, where he needs must run on the steep scorched bank paralleling the trail, 
turning back any loose edges of the gray-white flock that sought to scamper down the incline. Keep it up, Treevy, whisperingly encouraged old Joel Finnow, as the collie whisked past him on such an errand. Another mile, and the road's due to shift to the right away from this smoke hole. Then it'll be plain going. Treve caught the low sound of his own name and wagged his plume tail in reply as he ran on. Be past the coulee in a little while now, sang out Royce Mack to his partner. The dogs are holding them great. Yep, growled Fenno. The two black ones are. Treve's loafing on the job as usual. I'm hoping he won't do some fool stunt when we get to the crossroad up yonder and hustle a bunch of the sheep onto the triple bar range. I wouldn't put it past the chucklehead. Royce Mack did not answer, but hurried on to his own new place in the tedious procession. Finna had touched on a theme that worried him. Not that either Royce or Joel really thought Treve would do some fool stunt at the spot where the trail crossed the road that led to the Dos Hermanos Peaks, nor at any other place or time, but both of them dreaded that bit of crossroad territory which bordered the Triple Bar Range. The Triple Bar was a cattle outfit. Like most other aggregations of cattlemen, its men held sheep and sheep ranchers in sharper abhorrence than they held rattlesnakes and skunks. More than once had a serious clash been narrowly averted between the Dos Hermanos partners and Chris Hibben of the Triple Bar, their nearest neighbor to the north. It was understood, without need of words, that any Dos Hermanos sheep or sheepdog setting foot on the Triple Bar range would be courting swift and certain death. Today, the continued reek of smoke and the crackle and smolder of fire in the coulee below them served to fray the sheep's bad nerves and to deprive them of what little sense they had. The work of the dogs and the shepherds grew increasingly difficult as a trail mounted high and higher alongside the burning gorge. At length, in front, appeared the open space at the coulee head, the space where ran the road toward the peaks, and beyond which stretched the triple bar range. The foremost dozen sheep caught sight of the cleared space, perhaps with an idea that it signified an end of their smoky and terrifying climb, they bolted frenziedly toward it. Those behind them followed suit. A veritable tidal wave of sheep surged galloping toward the clearing, deaf and blind to all coercion. Springing on the backs of the close-packed runaways nearest him, Treve tore forward to head off the stampede. He reached ground in front of the onrushing wall of sheep at a spot where the bank rose high on the right side and where the pit-like top of the coulee fell in almost sheer precipice for fifty feet on the left. Wheeling to face his panic charges, Treve barked thunderously, but before he completed the bark or the wheel, the sheep were upon him, unable to stop their own gallop and pushed on resistlessly by those behind, 
The front line smote against the whirling collie with the force of a catapult. Knocked clean off his feet, Treve rolled writhingly to one side to avoid being trampled to death. Over the coolie lip he rolled and crashed down the steep side of the gorge. He landed on his back in the midst of a brush fire at the bottom, breathless and half-stunned. Joel Fenno cried aloud as he saw the dog reel over the cliff edge. He ran forward, kicking aside the encumbering sheep that tangled his progress. He reached the lip of the gorge just in time to see the dog come charging up the precipitous slope, his beautiful coat smeared by soot and with sparks still crackling here and there in it. Gaining the summit, Treve wasted not a second, but forged ahead toward the front of the stampede. He was too late. The few seconds of leeway had permitted the galloping sheep to reach the clearing unchecked. The two black collies were far behind with the main flock, nor were any of the men far enough forward to stem the rush. As a result, the first hundred sheep struck the cleared space at a speed which they could not check. Across the narrow high road, they hurled themselves blindly, shoved on by those behind them. They crashed into a tall barbed wire fence on the far side of the road, the boundary fence of the triple bar. They hit it with the impact of a battering ram. The front rank were ripped and torn on the jagged wires, but their weight and their blind momentum sagged the wire and snapped the nearest worm-gnawed post. A whole panel of fence gave way, falling obliquely backward, almost onto the grass. Through the gap and over the bodies of their wire-entangled comrades swept scores of sheep. On they rushed, scattering into a ragged, fan-shaped formation as they found themselves in the open range. Joel Fenno went green-white with whore. Mac groped feebly for a gun at his belt, but, as usual, his gun hung forgotten from a peg in his bedroom. Indeed, the whole party could not muster any weapon more lethal than a staff. The shepherds involuntarily came to a dazed standstill. But Treve did not hesitate for the space of an instant. Hurtling the sheep which struggled in the strands of wire, he cleared the low-slanted broken panel and sprang into the forbidden range of the enemy. His singed coat almost sweeping the ground as he sped, he bore down upon the hundred strays. The boundary range of the triple bar was perhaps two miles wide by three miles in length. Dotted along its expanse, numbers of cattle were grazing. Also, entering through a gateway three-quarters of a mile up the field, rode Chris Hibben. Fate had brought Hibben to this especial field at this especial minute, during his leisurely tour of inspection of the triple bar herds. Hibben pulled his pinto pony to a standstill, Open-eyed and open-mouthed, he sat staring, unable to believe what his goggled eyes told him. There, inside the road end of his sacred range, 
cavorted something like a hundred detestable sheep. There, too, among them, galloped an equally detestable dog. The thing was impossible. To add insult to injury, a panel of his barbed wire was down, and men of the loathed Dos Hermanos ranch were disentangling from it still more sheep, while two herdsmen were seeking to steer something like a billion other vile sheep aside from following their brethren into the field. All this, in almost no space of time, did Chris Hibben see. Then, back to him came his senses, and with them his flaming temper. He whipped out a heavy-caliber pistol and struck spurs deep into his pinto. Down the field, like a cyclone, came the infuriated cattle king, whooping, Comanche fashion, and brandishing his drawn gun. Meantime, in other parts of the field, other things had been happening. It was mere child's play for Treve to round up and turn his runaways. It was the work of almost no time. Driving them headlong, he put them at the gap in the fence, sharply checking their repeated tendency to loosen the close bunch into which he had wielded the scattered hundred. He sent them at top speed toward the gap. Through it he hustled them, just as the wire-tangled sheep had been cleared therefrom. Back into the mass of their fellows, Treve galloped the loudly baying runaways. Then, collie fashion, he whizzed about and stood midway in the gap to prevent their doubling back. He had worked fast, and he had worked well. Mildly, he was pleased with himself. He glanced from one to the other of his two masters for a word of approval, but no such word was spoken. Aghast, dumbfounded, Joel and Mac were gaping at the on-charging Chris Hibben. Tony, the chief herdsman, had presence of mind to grab Treve by the ruff and to yank the indignant collie back from the fence gap out onto the neutral ground of the road. As he did so, one of the restored runaways exercised his inborn traits of idiocy by breaking from his subdued mates and scampering again through the gap into the field. To avert capture, he continued to run, even after he had achieved his escape. Others made as though to follow, but the shepherds beat them back. Treve noted the single sheep's flight. It outraged all his native prowess as a herder that he should be held ignominiously by the scruff of the neck while such a thing went on. Twisting suddenly, he wrenched free from Tony's careless grip and rushed back into the field after the stray. Tony snatched belatedly at the golden swirl of fur that flashed past him. So did Joel Fenno. The sheep, hearing his pursuer behind him, veered to the left, making for a right-angle niche that indented one edge of the side fence, perhaps a hundred yards from the gap, a sort of alcove where cattle had formerly been herded in bunches of two or three to pass on through a gate whose place had since been taken by the high barrier of wire. With Treve not three feet behind him, the sheep reached this cul-de-sac, discovered that it led nowhere, 
and turned to get out of it. At his first shambling step, he rolled heels overhead in a somersault, a forty-five bullet drilling him clean. Chris Hibben had gone into action. As soon as the hard-ridden pony had brought him within range, he had opened fire. His first bullet found its mark, but, as he himself knew, more by luck than by skill. For only in motion pictures and in Buffalo Bill shows can a man hope to take any sort of accurate aim from the back of a jerkily running pony. Moreover, this pinto of Hibbins was but half broke. At sound of the shot, the pony swerved, spun about on the pivot of his own bunched hind legs, and then sought to get the bit between his teeth and run away. Failing, he resented curb and spur by a really brilliant exhibition of bucking. Enraged, and by no means intending that his prey should escape or that the wizened old fennow should complete his rheumatic run across the corner of the field in time to save the collie, Hibben sprang to earth, flinging the reins over his pinto's head. A trained cow pony will stand for hours if the rein is thus flung, but the pinto was not yet well trained. Also, he had been bewildered by the shot and by the spurring into a forgetfulness of all that he had learned. He set off at a panicky canter, the loose rein catching in his forefoot and snapping. Unheeding, Chris Hibben ran forward to the niche where Treve was standing in grieved amaze above the body of the slain sheep. Halting just within the outer opening of the alcove, Hibben leveled his gun, using his left forearm as a rest, and pulled the trigger. He was not twenty feet from the motionless dog, and he was a good shot. Yet, he missed Treve by at least six feet. This by reason of a fragile old body that hurled itself against him from behind. Joel Fenno had made the last few rods of the distance between the gap and the indented niche in something like record time. His stiff muscles stirred to incredible power by the imminent danger of his chum. The others from the Dos Hermanos ranch, Royce Mack among them, were still standing stupefied and inert. Joel struck up the pistol arm and in the same move banged his own full weight against the broad back of the cattleman. The result was a lamentable miss and the saving of the collie's life. The impact and the heavy caliber pistol's own recoil knocked the gun from Hibben's hand. Chris turned, cursing. His left elbow caught Fenno in the chest and knocked the little old rancher flat. Then Hibben stooped to regain the pistol. But he was met and driven backward by a flamingly wrathful mass of fur and whalebone strength that smote him amidships in an effort to seize his throat. Treve, seeing his loved master knocked down, had left his post beside the dead sheep and launched himself like a vengeful avalanche upon Joel's assailant. Here lay his first duty, and he wasted no time in fulfilling it. Hibben staggered backward, clawing at the furious brute which sought to rend his throat, 
In the same instant, a scream of mortal terror from Joel Fennell was taken up by the far-off group at the gap. At the sound, Tree forsook his prey and spun about to face the slowly rising Joel. Hibben, too, forgot his own danger in the stress of that shriek and turned to look. The drouth and the eternal smell of smoke had gotten on the nerves of the 300 cattle pastured in the field. Today, the inrush of the strange and repellent-smelling grayish creatures upon their territory had agonized those raw nerves to frenzy. On top of all this, the scent of fresh spilled blood had the effect that so often it has on overwrought range cattle. Something like fifty white-fronted Hereford steers suddenly lowered their horns and, by common consent, charged that blood reek. In other words, Joel Fenno, in trying to get up, had seen coming toward the alcove space a tumble of lowered heads and express train red bodies. Though he was a sheepman, he knew what a cattle charge meant and he screamed horrified warning to his fellow human in that death trap. Old cattleman though he was, Chris Hibben stood frozen to stone at the sight. Then he glanced toward the alcove fence behind them, seven feet of close-meshed barbed wire, coyote-proof, bull-tight, horse-high. No man might hope to scale so bristling a stockade. Hibben himself had ordained that fence in the days when this end of the range had been given up to calves and when wolves and rustlers abounded. Subconsciously, the two men stood close beside each other as they faced the thunderous charge. Their hands met in a moment's tight grip. Treve did nothing so professionally melodramatic. He saw the peril quite as clearly as did Joel or Hibben, but his duty was to avert it, not to stand supine or to make stagey gestures. In the wink of an eye, he was off on his gay dash toward the on-thundering bunch of blood-crazed steers. Treve had had no experience in driving cattle, but his wolf ancestors had known crafty ways of their own in dealing with wild cows. Into their descendants' wise brain, their spirits whispered the secret now, even as Treve's collie ancestors had told him, from the first, how sheep must be herded. Tearing along toward the galloping phalanx of horned and lowered heads, the collie burst into a harrowing fanfare of barks, Straight at the mad steers he ran, barking in a way to rouse the ire of the most placid bovine. Nor did he check his flying run until he was almost under the hoofs of the foremost steer, a mighty Hereford which ran well in advance of his crowding companions. To the lowered nose of this leader, Treve lunged, slashing the sensitive nostril, and then, by miraculous dexterity, dodging aside from the hammering hoofs. Not once did he abate that nerve-jarring bark. The hurt steer swerved slightly in an effort to pin the elusive collie to earth. The dog swerved, too, barely out of reach of the horns. 
As he dodged, he slashed the bleeding nostrils afresh. It was pretty work, this close quarters flirting with destruction. The fearless dog was enjoying the gay thrill and novelty of it as seldom had he enjoyed anything. Under the repeated onslaught, the steer definitely abandoned his former course and set about to demolish the dog, but Treve, always a bare inch or two out of reach, refused to be demolished. Indeed, he ducked under the lumberingly chasing body and flew at the two nearest steers that pressed on behind their leader. The nose of one of these he slashed deeply. The second steer of the two was too close upon him for such treatment. Treve leaped high in the air, landing on the back of the plunging animal and nipping him acutely in the flank before jumping off to continue his nagging tactics. That was quite enough. The steers had some definite object now in their charge. Following their three affronted leaders, the whole battalion of them bore down upon the flying collie. Forgotten was their vague intent to charge the alcove space and trample the blood-soaked earth around the dead sheep. There was a more worthy object now for their rage. Treve noted his own success in deflecting the rush. Blithely he fled from before his bellowing foes. But he fled at an increasing angle from the direction in which first they had been going. The steers hammered on in his wake. He kept scarcely five feet of space between himself and their front rank. Head high, plume tail flying, he galloped merrily along, barking impudent insult over his shoulder and leading the chase noisily down the field. Treve was having a beautiful time. Nearly a mile farther on, he tired of the sport. His ruse had succeeded. Putting on all speed, he drew away easily from the wearying cattle, made a wide detour, and trotted back to his master. The winded steers had had quite enough. Finding at length that the dog had swiftness they could not hope to equal, they shambled to a halt. One by one they stopped staring sulkily after their tormentor and fell to cropping grass. Steers are philosophers in their way. Tree found Joel and Hibben standing with the herdsmen at the fence gap. They were waiting only for his return to lift the broken posted panel to place again as best they could. If you're still honing to shoot him, Mr. Hibben, began Fenno sourly as Treve came up. I, I left my gun back yonder, muttered Hibben in reply, his tall body still shaking as with a chill. And anyhow, say, put a price on that collie of yours. Don't haggle. Put a price on him. If I can help it, no such grand dog is going to have to live with a passel of sheepmen no longer. He... This here's only a dog, gravely interrupted Fenno. A no-count dog for the most part. But we all don't aim to humiliate him by making him associate with cowboys and steers and such like trash. He ain't worthless enough for that. 
So long, neighbor. We'll be on our way now. Anytime you want to reform and buy a nice bunch of sheep, just give us a call. Come on, Trevi. End of chapter 8